In total contrast to uh, a lot of the films we'll be looking at this year, Last Samurai was a box office smash, making about $316.8 million net worldwide revenue, which is pretty impressive, especially considering some of the rest of the list we'll be talking about later, later this year. I do these kind of out of order, and I try to string them together in ways that make sense, which is why I put this here. Because, um, yeah, the next movie we'll be covering will not be nearly as successful, although is arguably a better movie, but that's how it goes, isn't it? You see, this is an action flick. Before you decide to stab me... Okay, after you've decided to stab me... God, patience. I wanted to clarify there's nothing wrong with that. It's just... An action flick has certain requirements for how it is structured and how it goes and how it ends, and that means that it has to follow certain patterns. It can still be a great film, but there are elements of it that I think could be better improved, if not for the fact that it's an action flick. Ironically, I also think the pacing is really off. There are huge swaths of the film where it feels like it's meandering a bit. And I know that sounds strange because I'm totally down with something taking its time, and I love a good slow burn, but there's a difference between a slow burn and... Hang on. Hang on. Not really knowing the tempo of your own work. Interestingly enough, Edward Zwick uh, did this. Zwicky? Zwick? No, it's Zwick. I'm right, I'm right. And you may have never heard of that name. He did Glory... Legend of the Fall, uh, The Siege, he would later do Blood Diamond. And if you're listening to this, this probably sounds like a familiar list. They are action flicks. Good. Enjoyable stuff. But, you know, it's it fills that kind of what we uh, nowadays refer to as the summer blockbuster kind of a role. Uh, large name actors who do big epic scores, usually with Hans Zimmer involved in some way. And, oh, epic, but deep, and emotional, and he's got to start low, but then he builds himself up to be the ultimate, and you get the idea. That being said, I do want to say that Watanabe really adds to this one a lot. Uh, Ken Watanabe, who is an awesome actor, and I'm not sure I can name something he's been in I haven't enjoyed. Anywho, <clears throat> so this film is very loosely based on the Satsuma Rebellion, and I don't actually know all that much about that particular conflict or even that period of Japanese history. I'm more familiar with both before it and after it, so this is kind of a gap for me. So I don't know how historically accurate this is. It's probably not very historically accurate, but that's okay, because action flick, right? I also want to say Algren... <laughs> There's this bit. So we start off, we get introduced to Algren, and he's a drunkard. A lot of quick and dirty. From the first scene, there is actually good exposition on display here. From the first scene that we see of him, we get that he is an ex-military, that he was a very good soldier back when he was a soldier, that he's haunted by something because he is now a drunk. Because in Hollywood, generally speaking, if someone's a drunk, it's because they have some horrid past. Bonus points if they somehow get over their alcoholism just by having something that fixes that. See this film for a good example of that. I'm not making fun. I'm just po 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 pointing out how the, the structure of it is. Because, as I mentioned, I don't have a lot to say about some of the nitty-gritty. Except for the nitty-gritty that I do. I'm just going to shut up and get on with it. i got to say, though, his pitch when he's actually reading off the cue cards... First of all, how does nobody else... He's, he's just holding the cue cards right in the middle of the crowd. 
His pitch he gives after he goes off script was far more interesting. And honestly, I would be far more likely to buy that gun after he went off script. It, just personally. But no, instead he gets uh, recruited. And it's like, alright, here we go. We're going to go do this job. This, uh, he's, so he's, <laughs> we've got to get a man's job. I've talked before about methods of how to employ your villains. Basically, do you want them early so you can showcase them a lot, have them have a lot of presence, or maybe you want to have them have an arc? You could show them late to have more impact. You know, there's there's some if and but here, and we'll be talking about this more in, later on this very year. Uh, that's not right. I'm sorry, one moment, I just noticed my notes are wrong. There we go. That's strange. Anywho... <clears throat> Regardless, having this approach here, having Omura right at the beginning, certainly helps to sell why this man is what he is, although he actually has a much better establishing scene much later in the film, like after the hour mark. Either way, I want to give special praise to Tom Cruise. I know that sounds like a weird thing to do, because Tom Cruise has jumped back and forth in how acceptable it is to like him when it comes to actors, but... I do have to admit, there are two things he does very well, and he does both of them in this film. The first thing is he plays mad. Not crazy. That's different. Not insane. That's different. Mad, so insane is when your brain just doesn't work right. No, that's, that's when you grab a box and studiously and diligently take it upstairs and spread some mayonnaise on it. That's insane. M <laughs> mad, well, hang on, crazy Crazy, well, a lot of things he does in this kind of come across as crazy, but the problem is Mad is like one just step to the side of crazy. And hence the term Mad Scientist. And he come, he just does a really good job of portraying that person who is just that unhinged. And he does this right at the beginning as he's just bursting out laughing. He's like, yeah, no, I'll totally do this thing for you. <laughs> Uh, just the way he descends in his laughter is brilliant. Don't worry, I'll talk about the other one later. We also find out very quickly uh, that there's bad blood here. One of the reasons I put this film here with relation to the next film we'll be covering is because I think the core concept, no pun intended, is very similar between the two. Now, I'm going to talk about this in a couple weeks as well, but I always assume nobody watch, you know, nobody watches all my stuff. You only watch one individual video. So, in the presumption that you will not be watching the video two weeks from now, which I've already recorded, obviously, Aldrin has no, Aldrin has no core. He, we need something real to give us a reason to put up with everything else, right? That's, that's the, the simplest, most basic explanation I could ever give. And it varies from person to person. Uh, some people it's family, some people it's a hobby, some people it's a career, some people it's an ideology. You know, something that really, actually, really matters to you that allows you to keep going and to deal with the problems. Because, for example, someone who has a very strong core of, it doesn't actually matter what, who gets their arm chopped off will have a reason to keep going because they have a core. If they didn't, they would have no reason to keep going. And so in the face of that horrible trauma, screw it, they might as well just die. And they may very well do that if they succeed at it. Mr. Algren here has no core. And we will see what people without cores can descend to. But in this case, 
he, despite being an excellent soldier, has never actually found something that he could consider to be something that really matters to him. Something that is significant enough to enable him to bother other than simple momentum. So, this then leads to uh, Timothy Spall showing up. Actually, hang on, did I, did I put the name right? I did, I did. Timothy Spall, who is actually probably my second favorite actor in this whole film. I'm not even joking. He's, <laughs> I don't see him in much, but he, he's awesome when I see him. He's one of those actors, you know. Anywho, he shows up. And he's awesome, but one of the things that I found most amusing is he serves not only as an interpreter, but like a, ah, ritual's the wrong word, a decorum manager, right? Okay, step back, step back, step back, bow, pivot, walk away. You know, just the way he would give directions and instructions, it, it, they only showed that for a couple of scenes, but it was the part of his character that struck me the most. I would imagine given how many different people have different cultural values, and indeed how strict some of those values have been over the years, that kind of person is invaluable. Someone who actually understands the decorum necessary and mandatory so they can go ahead and help others with it. And thus, we and they can smooth over diplomatic issues. After all, someone who in ignorance does something is still causing issues and raves and ripples in political correctness and acceptability. Right? <laughs> Well, that's true today. So, he's awesome. Uh, we also see the conscripts, the peasants, that are going to be wielding these weapons. And man, they suck. I'm reminded of a quote. I don't know how true this is, and I haven't studied this part of military history, so please feel free to tell me that I'm a moron. But the quote went something like this. At a certain point in history, people started to realize that a knight who had trained all his life in armor and equipment that cost a fortune could be taken down by a peasant who trained for a month with a crossbow that cost a few dollars. This is a paraphrased quote, but the idea is that at a certain point, technological innovation really does kind of trump skill. You know, power does trump skill at a certain point, even in fiction. It doesn't matter how good of a boxer you are. If you are boxing the sun, then the sun's going to win that one. <clears throat> oh, I know what you're going to quote. Don't do it. Don't do it. So, we also see early on, uh, Algren has an interest in history and language. And at 19 minutes, at 19 minutes, we finally get the first shot of what tortures him so. We've gotten flashes of it, we've gotten inferences, but now we actually see the whole thing. And it's shown in such a manner that what we're probably seeing is a stylized memory, not the actual events. Nevertheless, what is shown is horrible shooting and massacring civilians, including children, of an Indian tribe that was probably that probably had absolutely nothing to do with the conflict they were currently involved with. I'd like to say it's a problem that used to happen where people would automatically assume that everyone of a particular grouping automatically was on the same side in military conflicts, but you know, here we are. Anyways. So there's this really great scene, and this is one I'm going to start nit uh, not nitpicking. I, I mentioned I wasn't going to go into little nitty-gritty, but now I'm going to go into the uh, little nitty-gritty. Because this part of the film has a lot of good moments. I mentioned the pacing's off. I stand by that. But I do think there's a lot of good little scenes. And I'm just going to kind of go down a list for you. He walks out in front of the thing says, Tell that man to shoot at me or I will shoot him. 
So in the big panic and desperation of the situation, he has effectively forced the, the random peasant guy to prove that he is amazingly not ready to fight an opponent. Also, if he happened to actually successfully shoot him, then hey, win-win, because he gets to die. Remember, he doesn't have a core yet, so if he dies, oh well. It's not a big deal, really. Win-win. Next one that happens is they have they have the Battle of the Fog. I don't know what it's actually called. They have got these uh, flintlock muskets. I don't know the type. I'm not into guns. <coughs> Please forgive me. But what I do know is that they specifically say you've got to wait until they're much closer to fire. Why? Probably because of the fact that they are undisciplined, untrained, and terrible shots. You wait until they're basically right on top of you so that initial volley will do as much damage as possible. With, See, this is how tactics can vary based on the specifics of your makeup. In this case, they have such terrible peasant levies that they have to use tactics which are arguably worse in order to accommodate the fact that they are doing terribly. Or they could have uh, gone another route and had them do the initial volley, replace their shots, and then do another volley. But that's risky because that risks a morale break. Because maybe they don't, maybe they see that their shots have done nothing and like, oh god, and then they break ranks, which is exactly what they did anyways. Morale. The morale bar went to red. That was the end of that. Next bit. Algren, or sorry, no, no, no. We see a brief scene uh, where Watanabe's character, which I'm sure I've written down somewhere, Katsumoto, there it is. Wait, no. No, yeah, that's it, Katsumoto. Uh, uh, acts as the second for someone else committing seppuku, the general. But, of course, he sees that without context. So now he knows what seppuku is, but he doesn't actually know what seppuku is, which serves as two nice little narrative points. He also has the journal. He desperately begs for sake. In fact, he glugs from sake. And, of course, only in a movie can you get over a crippling alcoholism in, like, one night. Moving on. He has the mud. He tracks mud in. And then he only, he only does that the one time. And as soon as he notices, he starts taking off his shoes every time he comes in. You know, I'd think that would be normal. Maybe I'm just weird. I mean, around where I live, that's kind of the norm. You walk into someone's house, you take off your shoes. That's just courtesy. But And I don't live anywhere near Japan, so that's hell do I know. Um, but like I said, a lot of little moments. Um, there's a bit where the child, you know, the first scene where he starts training with the sword. And he goes, you know, the child starts fighting with the other child. And it's kind of playful, but there's a, an elegance to it. But then he starts fighting Algren, and his strikes are much angrier. In fact, they get angrier as the intensity of the rain increases. Then uh, Ujio comes by. Double-checking my names here. Ujio comes by and just absolutely destroys him, and he keeps getting up. We get a rocky sequence. This is portrayed as big and heroic scene. I'm not sure why, because all I see is a man who is so broken that he doesn't know what to do other than to keep pushing, which... We'll get to later. Let's 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 leave that. But remember that stubbornness right now, okay? So I mentioned there was another thing Cruz is good at. He's good at simultaneously portraying someone who is very in control of himself, very smooth, and someone who's a stumbling, bumbling idiot. 
physically, physically, his act, his acting with his body, is so, he can do both of those things, and he can switch be- between them at the drop of a hat. And he gets to do that quite a bit in this film, too. He gets to act like the pristine warrior. And he does a good job of it. He also teaches them baseball. Uh, there's a nice bit where, you know, I am honored. He, she is honored to have my guest in her home. This is when the fake honor thing starts to come in. Uh, of course, Katsumoto is enamored of Custer's legend. Why wouldn't he be, given the society that he posits? Uh, side note. I would totally watch a comedy play, or whatever they actually call this, starring Ken Watanabe just wandering around, you know, <laughs> being funny. I, I don't know what else to say that. I would totally pay money to watch that. I mean, I guess I did, because I had to pay for this movie. But you get my point. All of this is the him acclimating to them thing. And, of course, finding what I've talked about many times, his core. What his core is exactly is never expounded upon, and I kind of like that. There's Taka, of course. But I think the chemistry between the two is interesting in how it's mostly this distant circling thing. They effectively never consummate anything, which I think was good. I think that's to the the film's uh, advantage. Because the whole point is both of them are orbiting each other and don't really know what to think or make of it. So you get to decide for yourself exactly how things went in the end there. Um, There's also the bit where he apologizes to her. You'll notice her attitude towards him has been almost universally negative, but almost entirely because of protocol. Now, I'm not going to go into a huge discussion of fake honor, because uh, because I've talked about it so much in my career. I know I just said a few minutes ago that I don't want to repeat, you know, I, I don't want to act like you've seen all my work, but God, I've talked about fake honor so much, my viewers have got to be tired of listening to me, so... All I'm going to say is that this is a very clear example of fake honor, and I'm not sure if they intended it to be. Because the moment he formally apologizes as a soldier for the act of murdering her husband, eh, murder's the wrong word, killing, killing her husband in combat, she's cool with him, because now it's okay. The idea here being that she already liked him, both as a person and as a romantic interest, but now it is acceptable to like him, because... The rules have been properly done, and the the point system, I, I like to call fake honor a point system, has been properly balanced, so now she's in the positive, so now she can do so. So, then the ninjas show up, kill a lot of people. Wow. I kind of wish Taka had killed a few more. She kills the one, that's neat. And then he goes back. Like, I'm just fast-forwarding through a lot of it. Like I said, I don't have much to say about the middle parts. We see what a few months of hard drilling and training do. The Imperial Army of the of the Japanese military is uh, doing a lot better. The Emperor, of course, is desperate to be told what to do. Pretty much flat out tells Katsumoto, please tell me what I should do. Give me the orders and I will give them, you know, I, I will repeat whatever you say as your orders. And thus we see the exact kind of puppet king, excuse me, puppet emperor that he is. Katsumoto, naturally, refuses to do this because, fake honor, he is sufficiently adherent to the old system that he cannot adapt. So, that sucks. We also see a really good uh, example of visual contrast. Because we go straight from a scene on a wooden walkway. I can picture in my head right now, there's 
petal flowers all over the place, or petal trees, excuse me, with, with all in bloom. There's some women in robes attending uh, the main characters, which is Watanabe and the Emperor. They're you know, Emperor Meiji. Uh, Meiji? Hmm. They are all in their robes. There's a, a decency to it. It's all quiet, you know, somber. There's a, a little bit of water in the distance. And then we jump cut immediately to a big European-style room with lots of fancy trappings and, you know, paintings on the wall and suits. You know, there's a thing of whiskey over there. Guy's got a cigarette. There's drapes. The immediate and total contrast between how the Emperor lives and how Omuro lives is probably one of the better points of the entire film. I'd say the second best point of the entire film. And I'm not even 100% sure they did it on purpose. I actually wasn't able to find a lot of behind-the-scenes on this film. Go figure. Anywho. This then leads to the big order. You know, samurai are forbidden. Screw you. So then they take Katsumoto's, Katsumoto's son, uh, Nobutada. I wrote his name down. And they publicly shame him. This is probably just me. But they made a big point earlier in the film about scalping. And while scalping is obviously killing someone because it's... And this is nowhere near as gruesome. Given the nature of fake honor. Given the nature of society and rules and how they work. While this is not as literally damaging... It certainly seems to be metaphorically far uh, equally as damaging as scalping the poor guy. And he is obviously in agony when it happens. And, you know, Algren has to come. It's, it's okay. It's okay. I'll, t I'll take you home. I'll take you home. Because it's just messed what they do to him. Now, it's even more messed because they know what they're doing to him. <laughs> right? They are of that culture, even if they do not adhere to it. Now I want to talk about Colonel ba uh, Bagley. 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 This is an interesting aspect of a villain. I'm going to talk about this in a way, and then I'm going to... Well, let, let me just do it. He really respects Algern. He goes out of his way to be polite and decent to him consistently, and actually flat out tells him, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and pay you all the money promised, plus... Plus, I'm going to go and give the money for the time you spent in captivity. Even though you're not actually leading the charge, although you should. I will offer you the sign-up bonus, and you're cool and awesome, and I'm the one who recommended you because you're an amazing soldier. And he just constantly treats him super well. And you're thinking, oh, so he's an affable villain, right? He's polite. Well, see, that was my first thought. Here's the catch. This is probably one of the more insidiously well-written racists I've seen in fiction in recent memory. Think about this. He had absolutely no hesitation about ordering his troops to assault a civilian village of American Indians. I don't even know the tribe. I don't think they even mention the tribe in this particular work. And it probably didn't matter to him. They're all the same. Savages. Savages. Barely even human, right? He had absolutely no trouble going after the non-modernizing Japanese, you know, going after the, the rogue samurai. Who cares? But he bends over backwards to be nice to and to please a man who hates his guts, who has flat out told him he would kill him if given a chance for free. 
And that is someone who is actually racist. Someone who is so convinced of the superiority of his own particular team that he thinks that there's nothing wrong with the guy who is barely tolerating him and talking to him through gritted teeth because he's, he's a good guy. He's on the right side. Whereas the other people, pfft, whatever. They don't even warrant consideration. That is messed up. I mean, I hate, I don't like to use that word because it has so many connotations and so much history with it. But I don't know a better word for this guy. You can call him a moron. <laughs> so, <clears throat> he, uh... There's this bit where... There's a, there's a good little bit, another good little scene. Do you believe we have like 30 minutes of the film left? I only have three more notes left. Don't worry, we're almost done here. But... Algren has a bottle. And... What? Oh, my book just shipped. Yay. Sorry. <laughs> just confusion. What? When's it getting here? Oh, it looks like Friday. That's oh, going to be weird. Um, Algren has the bottle, and... I've already forgotten his name. Watanabe. Ken Watanabe's character. Katsumoto. When I was taking my notes, all the notes were in the names of the actors. Because that's... Katsumoto's character. Katsumoto is there with the Tonto. You know, kill yourself. Algren is there with the the whiskey or the sake or whatever it is. And both of them are staring at the thing, and both of them decide not to give up. This is, of course, shown in a heroic light. He then goes and he beats a bunch of guys, and then the worst scene in the film happens, where immediately after this overly edited fight sequence against like four or five guys, we then see the overly edited fight sequence again, but in slow-mo as he remembers it. Honest question. Can anyone explain the point of that scene to me? I, I paused the movie and just sat here like this for like five or ten minutes trying to process that. Like, what's the point of that? I, I came up with nothing. I opened the floor to you guys. I can't wait to be told I'm a moron for not getting the obvious symbolism or whatever's actually the point of that scene. Anyways. So Timothy Spall is continuing to be awesome. He plays Graham. I remember that. Um, he continues to be awesome as he, you know, is like, all right, let's, let's see. No, you don't understand. We need to take the photograph and blah, blah, blah. I, I, I just gush. Forgive me. He's, he's amusing. But as they're escaping, uh, Nobutada is shot. And then he insists on being left behind. So he shoots a few of the incoming soldiers with his bow and arrow to buy some time. And then he charges them with his swords. You know what happens when he charges them with the swords? He dies. In seconds. Not what I would expect from an action flick. It's treated, it, the, the, the phrasing of it, the music of it, the showcasing and the camera angles are all treating like it's some big heroic charge, but all I'm seeing is a kid who got butchered by superior firepower. So then we cut to the battle. Actually, we cut to the pre-up for the battle, and then we cut to this armor, and... There's a thing with the kid, and he bonds with the kid, and he talks to the dude, and all sorts of stuff happens. Then, okay, now we're at the battle. <sighs> then they retreat. Actually very smart, depriving them of their howitzer advantage is basically mandatory. And they fight the good fight, and they are not doing super hot, and they cannot win. And this is pretty much when we discover that the intention was never to win. Keeping that fake honor thing going. But then the actual final charge happens. 
This is the best scene in the film, in my opinion. The final charge, the final cavalry charge. The music helps sell it, of course, but... What happens is they charge through the initial line of troops. Oh, and, and Colonel Racist gets killed. That's awesome. They charge through the line. A bunch of them fall. They charge through the howitzers. But, you know, they continue forward. And they just keep doing this. It is a suicidal charge. They are charging up a hill towards an embankment which has plenty of guns on it. They're dead. But they charge anyways. This is my interpretation of The Last Samurai. The phrase, not the movie. While I was doing a little looking into this film, I found three common interpretations for what the phrase The Last Samurai means. Some people said it's Tom Cruise's character. Uh, no. <laughs> Really don't agree on that one. Even the film itself makes the point that he is not actually a samurai. He's kind of the in-between between the modern and the old. So the other interpretation, of course, is that it's Mr. Watanabe. Yeah, I could absolutely see that. But for me, and this is the third interpretation, I think it's the group. I think it is that last cavalry charge. They were the last samurai. And then you know what happens? They bring up the new guns. And I, I, I'm going to pause here to gush about the cinematography because the contrast, the way they use the cameras is different between shooting the men on the horses charging and dying to the absolutely still static shots, almost unnaturally still shots with the guns which are basically not moving, which actually they probably should be if they were aiming, but let's ignore that for a second. They're not moving. They're just, they're just rotating. But the barrel itself is absolutely unnaturally still. The sheer machine-like precision of that massively superior firepower throwing a wall of metal at them. And they are gunned down in seconds. That is the last samurai right there. Absolutely destroyed by that weapon, which they, they in no way can deal with or endure. There's nothing they can do about that. Not under these circumstances. So they die. Because that's what they can do. It is a immensely, immensely powerful fight. And it's, it's, it's immensely powerful scene. And it goes back to what I've already told you earlier. You can't outbox the sun. And it goes back to his son's, uh, Nobutada's sacrifice earlier. This is exactly what you'd expect. Naturally, um, he asks Algren to help him reclaim his honor. He commits seppuku, sort of. There should have been a beheading. Let's, let's ignore that for a second. And, you know, everyone bows before them. And then the film keeps going for like another ten minutes. I'm not sure what I think of this portion of, of the film. That scene is effectively the end of the film for me. You need to have an ending. You need to have a denouement. I have a weird feeling that because this is an action flick, it had to end on a positive note. Now, don't mistake me. I'm totally down with good endings. You know, good as in positive endings. But what I mean by that is the villain, you know, Bagley dies, weirdly, and Omodo gets his comeuppance, right? The ambassador is denied. We're not going to buy your weapons. And Obono's holdings are seized. Or you can commit suicide. It's your call, buddy. And the good guy gets to go home and have a happy ever after. And a lot of things that just made me kind of go, okay. 
unfortunately, the reality here would probably far be far less uh, pleasant than this. And in fact, it would not surprise me if at some point in the creative process, the ending was a lot more bittersweet. Maybe he still gets his happy ending, but none of the comeuppances and none of the, you know, the, the villain gets to ha-ha, it's been revoked. <sighs> you know, none of that. Instead, you know, he just kind of gets what he wants, right? I don't actually know. I know I haven't had a lot to share here, but I do hope you've enjoyed what I have here about cores, about the, the wall of metal. God, that scene. About some excellent performances. For an action flick, this is one of the better ones I've ever seen. Oh yeah, by the way, i never seen this movie before. This is my first time. Not on purpose or anything. It's just, there was this one guy in my, my Twitch chat, and I just, I don't know, he kind of made me not want to watch the I'm messing, I'm messing. But in all seriousness, this is a good action flick. And if you have not seen it, I can absolutely recommend it. I hope you've enjoyed my thoughts. I will see you next time.